This is Marco Gabbiadini, and you're listening to the Hallam Paul Football Log. It seems like just yesterday we were putting off another football log, uh, but we are back. It's been, I don't know, what is the hiatus, Mr Staveley? The hiatus since episode 25, a kind of slapping gesture, Hal. It's, uh, it was 17th of October that we put that out. Wow, really? 17th of October. That is, that's... Adam and Evit. That's disgraceful. We can't, we can't have any listeners left. No, I think they've all gone. Um, and so, in fact, we can say whatever we want, really. Yeah, we probably could. We'll we talk about the cricket for an hour. That <laughs> never stopped us in the past. Uh, yes. Indeed. No, well, we've, had, we've, we've managed to maintain a, a fairly loyal following from people on Twitter and Facebook. And I must admit, for, for people to have stayed in such good contact with us since October when we last uh, bothered to do this, uh, it's been incredible. So an immediate, immediate thanks to them, I think. I think you're right, yes. Welcome to the Hallam Paul Cricket Log. Uh, we've got loads to talk about today, Paul. I say we, uh, I. Uh, basically, I, I wanted to talk about a few things. One of them, though, was suggested by you, and I think it's a great place to start because it gets the listener thinking all the way through the next few minutes, which yeah. is our, our our subject of the day. Can you remember what this was that you suggested? Was it? What is your favourite backheeled goal of all time? You're the man. Best yeah. backheel, yeah. Because the reason the reason I thought of it was because, uh, as you know, recently the Ferenc Pushkas Award for most beautiful goals scored um, in the last year, or I think, or in the last sort of uh, calendar twelve months, was was up recently. I don't know if you uh, saw, but Hamid Altintop won it. Um, yeah, his goal um, for for Turkey, which was a which was a hell of a goal. But uh, also on the shortlist was Mar- Matty Burrows of uh, Glen Torrens fame, who scored that incredible uh, volleyed backheel last minute ninetieth minute ninetieth uh, minute winner goal. Um, against whoever it was for Glen Torrent, and it, it sort of became an internet sensation. It got nominated for an official free for award. So we were thinking about favourite backheel goals, and uh, I don't know if you want to if you want to lead in with uh, your favourite, your particular favourite. I do enjoy every time I see it, Carnu for uh, Arsenal against Middlesbrough, when they absolutely destroyed Middlesbrough at oh, the yeah. Riverside a uh, little while ago. We might have even been talking something like ninety eight. Does that seem about right? Yeah, that sounds about right because I think it was the season that they won the double, wasn't it? The, yeah because they beat us in the FA Cup final. And believe it or not, my good lady wife was uh, actually at that game. Uh, she used to be a season ticket holder at the Riverside when she lived in Middlesbrough, and she, um, and she was at that match, so she saw it, she saw it happen live. I do not believe it. Uh, so uh, <laughs> what's your favourite backheel, Mr Stavely? Well, my, my favourite uh, backheel goal of all time has got to go down as um, Gianfranco Zola against uh, Norwich in the, I think it was the FA Cup, or possibly, feel free to pull me up on that, because I'm not uh, 100%, but it was in a cup competition anyway. Yeah. And um, you've, all, you've probably all seen it. I'll, I'll stick a little link up uh, on, on the Facebook page. Uh, the ball comes in from the right-hand side. Zola makes a little run behind the defender and leaps in mid-air and backheels it uh, into the into this near-post uh, side of the goal. It's an absolutely fantastic piece of work and um, one that I'm always particularly keen on watching. So that'd be my favourite, I reckon. Yeah, now, of course, we throw this open to you, dear listener, and the usual means of getting in touch with us, which Mr Staveley always seems to do better than I. As well, the various ways of contacting us, they are still, uh, like I say, in fairly full force, is either at Twitter, um, which is twitter.com slash football log, uh, at football log if you're already on Twitter there. Uh, you can also follow Hal and I individually, which is information we'll give out a little bit later on, so do get involved with that. We do like Ooh. your uh, <laughs> delicious tweets. Uh, there's Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash the football log. You can all find us fairly easily through that. Or you can email us direct at football underscore log at yahoo.co.uk and thank you for keeping your um, information coming in uh, on that email address during our many, many months worth of hiatus. It's been, uh, it's been nice to hear from you. Have you been keeping updated with that, Paul? Have you been on the case? 
I have, yeah. I, I check it every day still, and um, we occasionally get uh, little notes from <laughs> listeners. We, we keep getting these comedy football songs through. Um, I don't know if it's some sort of mailing list that we've been put on. There's these Irish people who keep sending us uh, football comedy songs, but the problem is that when I say comedy, um, that's their words, not not mine. Yes, it's so, the, the loosest possible avoid, terms. Um, try and avoid mentioning them too often. And, and, and sorry if you are listening, and I'm just alienating uh, our entire Irish listener base. Um, which you would know it would be me doing that, wouldn't you? But yeah, um, yeah just if you're going to send us something funny, can you check that it's funny first? And, and that we really appreciate that. That's a, a great prerequisite. In fact, I've been uh, writing songs, as you might but might be aware at the moment, yeah. for uh, for the radio show that I'm doing at the moment. And uh, what I might do, because they're sort of generic, I might sort of send a link over to the uh, the log. In fact, I will. I'll do that because they are they are. I think they should be the barometer. Uh, you know my own my own work. I like to blow my own trumpet, and the reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm trying to get all this backing, is uh, I'm, I'm announcing this here and now. I'm going to be entering Britain's Got Talent. Are you really? Yeah. Fantastic. With my stupid singing. <laughs> so you so you're basically going to be disproving the title of the show, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought midway through one of these songs that I actually did on on air yesterday, uh, maybe, maybe singing doesn't matter. You know, the fact that the inability to sing it's it's overrated being able to sing. I mean, you I can you can sing. Yeah, I mean, you've only got to look at some of the people who do well in these shows, and, <laughs> and you will know that that is. And your charm and uh, natural charisma. I imagine you you could get as far as maybe the, the first round. I think I could. I mean, Mr. Stavely, though, genuinely, you can sing. You are talented musically. Thanks very much. And I'm not, right? And that's not. I'm not looking for you to say, "Oh no, but you are, mate." No, I'm not at all. I wouldn't say that. Don't worry. I've never even professed an interest in it, have I? No. So the thing is, for me to actually do that, I think it's just such a kick in the in the nads of talent. <laughs> Um, but well, genuinely pointing out that you and I did record an entire uh, album of comedy songs when we were what 15 16? yeah yeah I think yeah, we did I was listening to that the other day it hasn't aged particularly well but then neither <laughs> <either> of <laughs> we so <laughs> it's uh, a nice little mirror image there equally true football. yeah let's get back straight to football uh, FA Cup did you enjoy that mm. oh yeah <laughs> the third <laughs> round t- talking about when we talking about us being 15 or 16 I had these horrible flashbacks to 1998 when Newcastle played Stevenage then and um, I remember just being extremely cocky about it at the time, and, and you saying, you know, don't be uh, too sure of yourself. Mm. We, of course, did manage to beat them eventually after a replay, but uh, this time round, I think I'd forgotten what it's like to be a Newcastle fan, because this season, although we have um, won some games and lost some games, it hasn't been a typical Newcastle season. We've played quite well at, on, on some occasions, and the games we've lost have not always been, um, you know, ridiculous games that we, shouldn't, we should never have come near to losing. Um, and so it's been a sort of it's been almost like we've been a normal football club to a certain mm. degree certainly by Newcastle standards and then of course I forgot that we have the potential to go to Stevenage and play like a bunch of amateurs I mean we've never, I've never seen a team look so tired um, and I've also never really been that bothered I've never really been less um, bothered about going out of the cup in a way really? Uh, my, my priority at the start of this season when we last uh, logged I'm sure I would have said was to stay in the Premiership and despite how um, well, some of our early results have gone. I haven't changed that view at all. So, um, not being in the cup is not the end of the world. I don't think we would have won it anyway. So, mm, probably fair. I was missed. I'm, I mean, this is a bit sort of. It is a bit sort of me saying, "Oh well, I don't care anyway." You know, but um, it's not the end of the world by any means. How do yeah. you feel about it? All? Well, as I say, yeah, we both had a, a pretty bad day of it, didn't we? In the FA Cup, I was of course joking when I said, "Did you enjoy it?" It was a. It was. It was a shame. One of the most interesting things, I think, personally, from a. From a Blades point of view, and maybe even from a generally interesting point of view, was that uh, we saw uh, Kyle Walker line up for Aston Villa for his first game for Villa against the club that he'd played for since a schoolboy. And yeah. not only that, he took just a few minutes 
to score, uh, yeah. which was which was a bit of a kick in the teeth, and of course reminded us all of uh, what could have been. That's often the way, isn't it? When you get you bring up a young homegrown talent, and you know, unlike Andy Carroll, you've managed to keep hold of, and according to Dennis Wise, he's the reason for that. Um, but uh, for something, you lose your best talented youngsters, and it really does come back to bite you. And you do look at the chairman in those instances, and I think that was the feeling after the match for uh, for a lot of Blades. What could have been? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a big it's a big problem for clubs who sort of need to be they need to be selling clubs in a way, don't they? And, mm. and young talent. I mean, I know there were I don't know about how much uh, credence I'd give to Dennis Wise's comments, but I know that there was interest for. It's funny how there's interest for Andy Carroll, and, and obviously, like now people now people are saying he'd be worth whatever it is, 20 million quid, and obviously at the time I'm sure it wouldn't have been uh, anywhere near that. Mm. But then at the same time, we seem to have always had interest in Shola Amiobi, and we've never got rid of him. Yeah, it's true. Um, so the fact that we could have sold Carroll and kept uh, Shola, who to be fair has not had a terrible season by his standards, but um, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. And we know Newcastle very famously sold quite a lot of you know good young players, and, and players like Darren Huckabee, for example, who then would always come back to bite us in the teeth by... Um, playing well when we had no strikers and always scoring against us so you know I suppose it's a lack of foresight perhaps but then you know sometimes people are late developers I suppose yeah and also the, these players coming back they always want to prove that they shouldn't have been let yeah. go if in the case of Darren Huckabee they weren't given a chance not quite the same with Carl Walker because uh, no. we all knew he was quality and I think personally he'll go on to play for England either at right back or at centre back what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, what I would say about that is that at the moment, young, good right-backs have got a better chance of playing for England than they've ever had before. Mm. What, what about um, Mika Richards? He seems to have disappeared off the map, really, in terms of England chances. Yeah, well, we were talking about him on a previous log, I think, that that he just looked like he would walk in and make the position his own. Mm. And he started to get a bit more game time for Man City, but he's, like we said, you know, it's, it's amazing how people can sort of arrive on the scene. And he really looked like, you know, with a few years' experience behind him, he'd be... A, a really quality defender and it just seems to have stalled for him somehow but I don't think it can do him any favours being at a club like Man City where you know, you, you're less likely to get that kind of playing time because of the money that they're outlaying on people that are not necessarily any better You know, Absolutely true. Now of course we, we move on from the FA Cup uh, because our teams are out so we will never mention it again yeah. uh, straight to of course the lower leagues where I am now applying my trade as a Blades fan and we'll probably be applying it in even lower league next season uh, one of the features I'd like to bring back Mr Stavely as you can probably guess is the lower league one to watch absolutely correct and actually I thought I was onto something here because back in October I'd written this down and I haven't changed it but you might have seen this guy's getting a bit of press at the moment he was on the BBC football website they did a feature about him do you know who I'm talking about uh, I don't it's Dale Jennings oh do, more. do you still know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Good. The former Liverpool trainee. He's a, he's a winger come striker. And he only made his debut in September last year. And his first goal was after his third game, sealed a 1-0 win against the Gas. Uh, we, of course, we know the Gas only too well, uh, Bristol Rovers. Yeah. Um, the goal most will have seen, it's an absolute stunner. Now, as I mentioned, been on the BBC sites on YouTube as well. Uh, the one that he scored, though, that I think most people will remember, and the one that's just like, oh, my goodness, was against Plymouth. And if you go on his Wikipedia, it says, Dale Jennings is currently being touted to be one of England's best prospects of the decade. This is due to his unbelievable techers. <laughs> well, isn't, isn't the decade kind of young? It is a little young, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I was saying, there was, a, there was an article, it's not really football-related, but there's an article about um, Eliza Doolittle, the, the pop singer, mm. saying um, she was the, the decade's hottest um, new star, star or something, but... It was printed on the 6th of January. Yeah. Year. I just thought, well, that's not the greatest compliment. Well, I, I built a music show that I did, which said had the uh, the newest music, and that was on the 3rd of January. 
And actually, when I looked at it, all the songs were from 2010. So it's actually just a selection of last year's music. But uh, there we are. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the lower league one to watch. Dale Jennings, remember the name, currently playing for Tranmere. And I think he's got a really bright future. If there's any Rovers fans listening, do let us know if he's the real deal. Yeah, dude, this is the, this is the thing, of course. I'm always interested to see what the real fans of the club mm. think about these players. Because people, you know, often you can, you can find people as sort of young prospects being touted based on either a couple of good games in the cup, maybe where people have seen them, or, you know, a journalist who happened to be at the game when they had a particularly good game. And they're actually, you know, the, the fans of the club will say, well, yeah, they they try hard, but they're not actually that good. But I would be interested to see, because I've heard a lot about Jennings as well. So I'd be very interested to hear from any Gas fans I, I, who uh, want to tell us more about Well, Tranmere fans, yeah. I mean, I, I'd, fans. I'd be interested to hear from uh, Fiorentina fans, but we're probably not going to, um, about the current Adrian Mewtwo situation. Do you know any more yeah. about this? Yeah, well, we... We we made a big deal, didn't we, about save Adrian Mutu? Oh, I think we were wrong. <laughs> I must admit, it was more to do with how much I hate Chelsea versus how much I like Adrian Mutu. Yeah. And despite how much of a... Uh, oh, I don't know what the correct word is that I can repeat on podcast <laughs> one, but despite how much of a uh, dubious character he may be, I still stand by the fact that that was uh, outrageous treatment. But yeah, he's been after breaking his contract, hasn't he, and getting away to another club. Yeah, he's been he's been barred, you know, originally from Fiorentina's training ground. It's all, of course, exploded since then, as I as I believe now... Um, that he's he's actually done it all over again. Yeah. I mean, that is just incredible. If you don't know the Adrian Mewtwo story, he was banned for playing for seven months after failing a drugs test while at Chelsea. He was suspended after failing a dope test in January last year, uh, leading to a nine-month ban. Uh, he's only played six games this season, scored once, and uh, that's going to be it for him, I believe, in football terms. Uh, so that's, in a way, it's a shame because he's talented, but in another yeah. way, you know, if you're given an opportunity like that and you blow it twice, you have no one to blame but yourself. Well, I mean, he's, the, the big thing seems to be that he's kicking off about being desperate to leave the club, and you've got, you know, the, I think he, you've got to remember what the club have, have yeah. done for him. For when no one would touch him. Yeah, and I mean, they've stood by him through. I mean, not just, you know, it's not just a sort of oh, they stood by him through, um, you know, a little thing. This has been two or three fairly major incidents mm. that they that they've stuck with him, and, and like you say, he's obviously a talented player. And um, I always remember Adrian Mutu as one of those players who was really, really good on on a particular champ man, and I can't remember which one, but one of those that. As a sort of 17, 18-year-old, he would blossom into a great player. And so, of course, we automatically presumed that that was even more true in real life than it probably was. <laughs> yes, but I know. That, he was, he was a you know, clear, obvious talent. But, you know, the, the flawed genius sort of idea, well, I won't go so far as to call him an actual genius, but it's, uh, it's not the first time we've heard of uh, talented football players getting ruined by a life of vice and, um, you know, messing around with you. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's it's one of those things. We're not going to let it bother us too much. Uh, but no, uh, no. let's just say that the Adrian Mewtwo fund, which we were collecting for, all of that will be spent on our Christmas party. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there we are. Uh, every already saving up for every the cloud. Was so crazy. <laughs> it really was. I'm gonna tell you really? what, Paul. If we end up going to Chuck E. Cheese and spending that kind of money again. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be sick on your favourite jumper. Now, well, you know what? <laughs> I, I can't even remember our Christmas party. <laughs> it, was, it must it, have been that crazy. Well, it was, so, it was that much cheese. completely gone out of my mind. <laughs> now, uh, we're talking about some of the jumpers there. We'll, we'll tenuously link to uh, shirts. And yes. something I was just thinking about the other day, I was watching a lot of uh, uh, foreign football, particularly Argentinian football, uh-huh. uh, because, you know, Sheffield United is so bad, I thought I'll get as far away at the moment as I possibly can. So I yeah. was uh, downloading a few Argentinian games, legally, of course. And uh, I st- started to look at some of the shirts they've got abroad, and it just made me think, and I'd like your answer on this. I know I haven't told you about this before, but what is your favourite shirt of another team? Of another team? Mm, your other team. You know, well, which, which, which do you like? Staying in um, South America, I was always a fan of the Boca Juniors shirt. And I, I don't know if you know the story of how they... Um, 
how they came to decide on the colours of that shirt, do you? Tell me, I don't know. I will tell you. It was, uh, it was, um, my facts are going to be un- unbelievably sketchy, of course, in terms of when it was, but whenever they were first thinking of the club colours, the, um, they were at the port and they said, right, I'll tell you what we'll do. We will choose our club colours based on the next flag, of the flag of the next ship that comes in. And the flag that came in was Swedish, so they chose the blue. Wow. Gold, and that's where it comes from. So I always quite liked that. Um, I have, uh, I've, I've always sort of liked the Barcelona shirt, but only you know, because I've, I've always sort of been a fan of the club. Yeah. Uh, I have an AC Milan shirt, which um, I do like. It's very smart, the, the old red and black stripes there. The old red and black. I think they still use them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the current red and black. Yeah. I think, I think my shirt was from, oh God, I don't know, about three seasons ago probably, but they, ha- they have stuck with that uh, set. I've got a Juventus shirt from 1977, which is, uh, again, black and white stripes. I'm a particular fan of black and white stripes. Uh, Juventus choosing that, of course, because of Notts County, mm-hmm. uh, not Newcastle United. And uh, as uh, terms of other favourite shirts from abroad, um, I think I would probably say they're my choices for now. Well, I like the Fiorentina shirt, but there's you reminded me of interesting stories. I mean, do you know the story of why Atletico Madrid wear red and white? I don't. Well, they're called the Mattress Men. And, oh, yeah. and it comes from the fact that the uh, mattress material that they used to make all the mattresses in Spain was really cheap, and it was all red and white. And oh, so right. they made their shirts out of sort of old leftover mattress fabric, and uh, that's why they wear red and white. Absolutely that's true. That's, and, that's pretty, and that's where they get the nickname from. That's, that's where they get the mattress men nickname from, yeah. Because not all the players of Atletico Madrid work in the mattress trade. <laughs> yeah, uh, indeed they do. Talking about Atletico Madrid, there was the Madrid derby uh, this week, wasn't it? Yeah, in fact, speaking of derbies, we should get on to derbies just after your, your point. Uh, yeah, in the no, Premiership, but briefly talk about Real Madrid this season because I think we discussed it at the start of the season, and they had a sort of a questionable start under Mourinho, and a lot of people were saying, "Oh, you know, is this uh, has he lost his touch? Are Madrid going to struggle this season?" Because I think the first game was a nil-nil draw mm. um, away at Mallorca, was it? And, yep, um, that's right. <coughs> somewhere I forget where I'm afraid. Uh, but anyway, Madrid have now become apparently um, it seems this unstoppable steamrolling machine. Um, who ca- cannot and perhaps will not be stopped, apart from possibly by Barcelona, of course, who, who devastated them in the uh, Clasico earlier. But they, they won again last night, um, oh, sorry, this week against Madrid. They went a goal down to Diego Forlan and then won 3-1. And Cristiano Ronaldo's goal-scoring stats this season, I think he scored like his 18th hat-trick of the season against them uh, the other day. It's been quite unbelievable. So I just wondered if you thought there was any chance um, that they would take the league away from Barcelona this time. I don't, but I, I do see what you're saying, particularly Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't know if you saw the goal he, he stole from Kaká, who was sliding in. Uh, and there he is. You know, It's just about timing, positioning. He's almost always in the right place at the right time. And that is what separates the great from the good. Kaká's good. Cristiano Ronaldo is great. And I think he'll... He was great, wasn't he? Yeah, he'll, he'll push personally him on his own. They say no one man makes a team. At the moment, he's almost doing it on his own. And he, he will push Real Madrid very close, but once again, Guardiola's going to do it for Barcelona. I'm, I'm going out on a limb there. I mean, I know you sometimes disagree with me on the La Liga situation, but that's that's how I feel. Well, I just I just feel like because he he seems to go missing in in the big games. I mean, the Clasico, he was really poor. And even though Messi didn't score in the Clasico, I know, I know sort of it's it's kind of unfair to say the whole league has got to be about whether Ronaldo's better than Messi or whether Messi's better than Ronaldo. But that seemed to be the the little subplot to the Clasico, and, and Messi. Although he didn't score, played a massive role in the game, and Ronaldo really was limited to not doing very much. But his goal scoring for Real Madrid, he's played 47 games for them and has scored 48 goals. It is incredible. Yeah, Messi, we should also just say well done 
Lionel, if you're listening, uh, yeah. for winning the uh, the Ballon d'Or, which, as we mentioned before, is very similar to the uh, the Palm d'Or, isn't it? The, the film it is, festival. Yeah, for the, we do win it at Cannes for um, particularly good filmmaking. Indeed. Now, as I mentioned, we've got. The Derby Mania, uh, mainly, I mean, we recorded this on a Saturday, mainly tomorrow with uh, one of my picks, Birmingham versus Aston Villa, sticking out for me. I, I don't know about you, but I can't say the name Nigel Rio Coca without singing. You know, do, no, do, it, do. It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I bet even at school, his teachers during the register, they couldn't resist. They saw Tom Peterson here, David Prattley here, and do, 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 Nigel Rio Coca, do, 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 Nigel Rio Coca. Sorry, what? I bet he would never get tired of that. No, I bet he wouldn't. He'd just get here. Smith, James, here. You know, probably carried on like... Yeah, like, exactly. Like oh, well, it's nice to have a uh, it's nice to have a, a song, isn't it? It is. There you go. Britain's Got Talent. If you're listening, Simon, let's just cut straight to round two, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. You're through. It's a, it's a million percent. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I've been quite interested to note that um, when we were talking about um, Messi winning the Ballon d'Or, I, I posted that I, I felt that Xavi should have won it and the people sort of have had their opinions on that, including um, a lot of people saying that they felt Iniesta had had a better uh, year overall. I just wondered what your thoughts on the subject were. I am staring right now at World Soccer, and the very front cover says, the World Soccer Awards, Xavi, World Player of the Year. There you go. Can't dispute it. I have to agree with you. Although you know I love Iniesta, and not in a yeah. man-love kind of way, just a really admire him kind of way. Iniesta since we were kids. I mean, I remember the first, you, you had a Barcelona shirt with his name on it a long time before he was uh, scoring winning goals in World Cup finals, didn't he? Yeah, we've mentioned that before. I don't want to sound like that. Oh, why isn't Hal working as a football scout when he spotted Iniesta? I, I want to know why you're not. No, it's funny. I have looked into it. Um, right, that's that's all well and good. So, yeah, we've got some exciting games. and I don't, I don't actually have a, a fixture list in front of me. What's the uh, Newcastle situation? Who are you playing? Well, uh, I, do you know what? I can't remember. Um, You're great, aren't you? Uh, no, 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 it's nothing important. Oh, hang on a minute. We're playing Sunderland. <laughs> of course you are, yes. Is it going to be the same as before? Well, <laughs> much as I would love to say yes. I, I think the, the problem is that, you know, because it's so difficult to predict what Newcastle will do on any given day, uh, certainly on any given Sunday, which is when we're playing them, mm. you know, the, Sunderland have had a, a good season so far, and especially, you know, matches like going to Chelsea. But then, of course, they've also... Uh, suffered some defeats they shouldn't have, and, and that's not just me rubbing in the five-one. Um, five, sorry, that was five-one that was uh, <laughs> earlier in the season when we beat them five-one. But um, there's every chance that we could, you know, they haven't kept a clean sheet against Newcastle in the last 24 meetings. Um, but that being said, obviously they haven't lost all of those. So I think it should be a, a real, you know, to roll out the cliche time, you know, blood and thunder and guts and glory sort of derby. And obviously, I think genuinely for. Um, Either team could could pull it off, so I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing what happens there. And obviously, my hope is that Newcastle win, but um, my heart sort of says Newcastle, and my head says I think Sunderland might nick it. And then Oof. we can call it a, call it an honourable draw on aggregate. Um, well, not on aggregate because I don't want them beating us five one, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, an honourable draw over the season, and we'll just you know um, leave it there. I hope. Mm, you say it's going to be blood and thunder. I disagree. I think it's going to be a, a humdinger. Uh, ah. But you you see, you say that it'll be on on as even, but it doesn't work like that with derbies. Whoever the last team to win is, and it's just about the fixtures list. You know, the last yeah. result is all that matters. It's interesting being um, being a teacher up here because, of course, um, especially my school now is sort of a bit south of Newcastle, so there are quite a lot of Sunderland fans, both on the staff and. Um, you know, in the student body as well, and uh, so it'd be interesting to see what happens. You know, the last time it was it was very uh, it was very banter tastic after the um, after the five one. So I'd be uh, interesting to see what happens there. 
the student body. Is that like... It's going on this weekend, as you know. And as you said, uh, there's a bit of a London... Well, it is a London derby. Both clubs are in London. Arsenal West Ham uh, are playing today, uh, this evening. And there are some sort of midland e derbies like uh, Stoke against Bolton. But there's another very famous one, um, Cracking Off. uh, Cracking um, Off. Yeah. By the way, Lancastrians, Paul is aware that Bolton isn't in the Midlands. Continue. Yes, I am. I just don't like uh, Lancashire, as you know. So it's all the Midlands to me. And um, there's Tottenham Man United, which is not a particular derby, no. except to say that most of the Man United fans won't have far to travel, hey. etc. I think the one that people are looking out for, like you say, is not only Birmingham Villa, Sunderland, Newcastle, and then the Merseyside derby. Two, two small, two underachieving teams this season, I think. Yeah, fair to say. I mean, I think it'll be fascinating. I, I actually kind of hope that uh, Kane Dalglish doesn't repeat the heroics that he did last time he was uh, Liverpool manager, and maybe repeats his sort of Newcastle heroics. Yes, we took the second best team in the Premiership to 12. Mm, absolutely, that would be fun. Although 12th... He was a Premier League manager. I mean, the thing is, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I know a few Liverpool fans and they're basically fairly reasonable and, and, and decent bods. So this is going to sound a little bit uh, disingenuous to say, but the Liverpool fans have really not done themselves any favours with this whole Roy Hodgson stroke, Kenny Dalglish situation because the way they've been reacting, I mean, the way that some of the journalists who've been tweeting about it, I've been following it quite keenly on Twitter. And certain people such as Dan Walker at the BBC or Paddy Barkley from the Times, um, to a certain degree, Gab Marcotti, that we are both uh, great fans of. Yeah, wonderful. They've been getting absolute hell from the Liverpool fans for saying things like, Roy Hodgson isn't a terrible football manager. And I think, you know, I, I posted it on the Facebook page, and I think people by and large agreed with me that he's not a terrible football manager. Obviously, it hasn't gone right at Liverpool, and, and there's no denying that, you know, him leaving uh, the club was because of the results, and so in the, in, you can't say that it wasn't a reasonable decision but the way that people have reacted now the way they've reacted to Kenny Dalglish coming in as if they were automatically going to win the league now he's in it is worth remembering that the last time he managed in the Premier League he, he did a poor job I mean I was very disappointed with what uh, what he managed to do in Newcastle United Yeah, well, and, uh, I'm sure Celtic fans would echo that after his uh, great alliance with John Baroness um, that saw them so successful there you know there's a difference of course though with you know, Liverpool fans have a connection with Kenny that uh, I know some Celtic fans do as well but Newcastle didn't really that's uh, true that's very true maybe it was never going to work but it'll certainly be an interesting weekend I think what we should avoid doing is what we did a, a lot of last year which was making predictions on the eve of football matches yeah. a lot of people would listen to the log after the games and after we just games. we're just wasting our time really so uh, yes indeed probably yes indeed so probably well, not much talk about the um, very briefly about the odds of uh, people staying up or going down I'm just looking at the relegation odds for this season and West Ham and Wigan are fairly well nailed on West Ham by the way today announced that um, Avram Grant will be sacked regardless of results I, I heard that on Sky Sports News this morning that breaking yeah. news um, and apparently Martin O'Neill's been lined up, which is probably good news for the West Ham fans. I imagine they'd be happy enough with that. But I think, you know, is it too late for him to save them from relegation? Because he's, he's obviously had experience managing at different levels of the game, but it's been a while since he's managed the championship side. Um, is, is that what he's going to be doing next season? Well, we can but only hope that he is managing in the championship next season. Uh, I would like to see Martin O'Neill doing that. The funny thing, of course, being that us Sheffield United fans have waited a long time to play West Ham again. And uh, yeah. we may be uh, denied that opportunity by our own shortcomings. Uh, of course, yes, r- remains to be seen with Mickey Adams at the helm. Well, I mean, talk to me about it. I, I tweeted Tyrone about this, and, and he said that he was, you know, just staying cautiously optimistic and, and mm. hoping, obviously, for the for the very best uh, outcome, which uh, I am certainly also doing. What uh, What are your thoughts on the whole subject? Well, it's really interesting. Sheffield United have appointed a fans mediator called uh, Richard Batho. 
And uh, he's not a guy I know, but I know a lot of people that do know him. And I've seen him around a lot. I mean, he's quite hard to miss. He's, he's extremely corpulent. But uh, right. he's, he seems like an interesting guy. I, I've heard a lot of people say he's all spin, he's all talk, he just knows the right people. I don't know if yeah. that's true. I don't know the guy. I'd like to get to know him. Because, uh, you know, I think uh, myself being a massive blade and a broadcaster, obviously not as massive as, as, as Richard, which actually is what our uh, chief executive said. But uh, still, uh, he could actually maybe you know, converse with some of the actual fans and find out what we what we really want. And I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll wait and see. It certainly won't make a difference to the league season. What it might do is certainly PR-wise look like we're reaching out to the fans. But, you know, not everyone knows this guy. And from the people that do, they don't like him. So we'll we'll wait and see what happens with that. I'd like to meet him, see if I like him myself. I won't make a decision just Fair yet. I mean, it's a bit of a mountain to climb in terms of the PR side. But also, like we say, it's a bit of a mountain to climb in terms of the league position. Mm. It's strange that you're down there with Middlesbrough as well. I, I, never, I didn't think I'd see that this season, how I'm disappointed. Imagine, though, if you went to the bookies at the start of the season and had the favourites to be relegated, they'd laugh at you, you know. Yes. And it could happen. It could, oh, we were both right up there at the start of the season in terms of the bookies, yep. and it's looking now that it's going to be pretty pretty close. Nail-biting stuff. Scunthorpe, they've had a bit of a resurgence. They've got the games in hand anyway. Their manager, I mean, Barraclough's not really doing the business, but who knows? They could get rid of him, get someone else in. When you've got the likes of Martin Wolford, former York Ace, you're always going to create and score goals. So I am worried. Scunthorpe are the team that worry me the most. Palace, of course, new manager and Dougie Friedman. They could, of course, you know, for the new manager, that new manager syndrome, do the business. You just don't know. Of course, have uh, got new manager syndrome as well. And not only new manager syndrome, but somebody who's got proven experience of somehow managing to avoid being relegated. Mm. It's going to be... Phew, it's going to be... I think it's going to be right to the wire. I do yeah. think the Blades will survive, but I think it'll be fourth from bottom. Right, OK. Mm. Well, I suppose, you know, if... if Given the start to the season you've had, or well, I mean, say the start, the, the first uh, 25 games of the season, I suppose fourth and bottom is, um, you know, if it means staying in the division, then it's uh, it's a good result, isn't you it? You might remember, though, that the Blades often play well after Christmas, and indeed used to have our Christmas parties in August, so it could... <laughs> yes, I do remember that. It could all so, change. Uh, well, I hope that, I hope that the, uh, the same thing happens again, because I can't be having my uh, my second team that many leagues below my uh, first team. It'd be awful. Newcastle are going to get relegated anymore, but you never know. Yeah. Um, we are, after all, uh, capable of, of these things, so uh, we'll have to find out. Quite a transformation. Last season, both of us battling for promotion. This season, you're looking sort of mid-table premiership, and we're looking at the exit door. You know, who knows what's going to happen? Well, I mean, it just goes to show, like, I mean, obviously, since we since we last logged, Chris Hewton was, was sacked and, and Pardew was brought in, and it just goes to show, like, the, the, the difference it makes coming straight back up um, in Newcastle's case and, and how difficult that was to do, because, you, you know, there are clubs that, that can do it, but it's not a, it's not a given that you will just... Um, go down and automatically win win the uh, win the division the next season. And mm. you know the fact that that Hewton managed to get that out of us. Not only do we win it, but convincingly so, and setting a couple of records for the club in in the process. It goes to show what a massive you know difference that makes. Because it looks like you know I, I don't want to um, count my chickens before they hatch, but it does look like Newcastle should stay up at least mm. uh, this season. I know it's not a mathematical impossibility that we'll be relegated, but we're certainly playing um, decent enough football. I would say to get ourselves stayed up and, and, and it it's a massive difference you know like you say now pushing for promotion not getting there can have a massive impact on the future of the club and so you know I think while uh, while I remember it's worth me saying what a massive amount of credit I think should have been given to Hewton and how um, roughly I think he was treated If you listen back to one of our old logs I was listening back to the one where he just got appointed and uh, you and I were sort of debating whether he'd do well or not and I was reading out the stats. I was just going on stats. I was telling you the stats of Kevin Blackwell and the yeah. stats of Houghton and uh, or Houghton, however you say it. And uh, you you were sort of in the sort of unwavering, not really sure is he going to be any good or not. And I was quite fervently saying that he's your most successful manager ever. 
uh, because of course he's only been there a short time. So yeah. even though we look back on it now, I know you're a bit gutted he's gone. I think he should have been given till the end of this season, and I don't think he was doing a bad job. Well, no, I mean I don't. If you, he, he was sacked when we were eleven, and we're currently, I think we are currently eight. But you know this is a tight season, so we've you know we've won a couple of games under Pardew and we've lost a couple of games, and that's not to be unexpected. And it's not going to be a season where we have you know. Like I said, right from the start, these people who say, "Oh, now we're back in, we should be looking at, you know, a, a top eight finish or something." That's not not how it works. It was never going to be how it worked. So um, the fact that we were, you know, playing well and he masterminded some massive wins. I mean, the, you know, who would have thought we'd have? All jokes aside, who would have thought we could have put a, a five-one uh, victory over Sunderland together? I was really worried about that match, and you know, the fact that we played not only so convincingly but um, converted the chances. I mean, the, a Kevin Nolan hat trick. Who would have thought? Yeah, so I think uh, the very least we could have done is, is given until the end of the season. But I suppose you know football clubs work in mysterious ways, and um, Newcastle are a particularly good uh, example of that. And when yeah. I say mysterious, I of course mean extraordinarily stupid. But it does seem to me it, so it does seem to be at least that Pardew's come in and is doing a decent job so far. I mean, the, again, you know, new fans of football clubs in we're idiots, shocker. You know, the way people that were the way people were responding to Pardew's appointment, it was almost as if we'd hired some kind of, you know, antichrist um, versus a manager who has had a decent record. And, and, you know, I mean, he struggled with West Ham in his second season, but he did get into seventh in a cup final. And I wonder how many West Ham fans would be devastated with that for this season. Yeah. But, you know, he's yes, he's not a Geordie, and yes, he's, you know, a Londoner, and, oh, we hate them Londoners up here in the north. But, you know, I, he seems to have made a decent enough start, and I, I hope that he will... Um, Continue that. I always think you should never you should never judge a book before you've read it, or by the cover or whatever the hell the cliche. Goes. Yeah, you've never read a book, though, Paul. No, no, no. Well, not one without any pictures. No. I mean, I wouldn't do that. You know, it's, uh, what's the point of? Uh, I actually got asked that question quite ri- quite literally by uh, by. A literally. <laughs> what's the point of books without pictures? Though? Yeah. What's the point? It's and a good fact, thing that your students have I never think. asked you. Have you ever read a book? Because you'd have to be honest. Well, you see, I'm just, what counts as a book, you see, because I remember a couple of programmes at Newcastle being quite long. Mm. Um, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say that, yes, I have read a book. Okay, well done. Now, uh, it's, my, it's my job to set an example to these kids, after all, and uh, you know how seriously I take that. I do. Now, it's time for Hal's We've Hit Over the Half Hour football-related question, which is all about who is the cleverest footballer of all time? Um, I It's got to be Clark Carlisle. <laughs> How many other footballers have appeared on Countdown? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, though, the answer to my football related nearly there at the half-hour point, who is the cleverest footballer of all time. I don't know if that link's going to say, actually. <laughs> it's a bit too... Well, I think we should probably work on making it a bit more catchy before yes. we uh, keep it in. Well, the answer, of course, I was looking for is uh, Socrates. Ah, very good. Well, yeah. no, there's more to it than just the clever name. Ah, I've been doing some research on Socrates. Get this. Oh, on, then. Fire away. He graduated. Great beard. What? Great beard. Yeah, great beard. He graduated as a doctor of medicine from Facude de Messina de Ribeiro Preto. That's the medical school of the University of Sao Paulo, of course. And that was whilst playing professionally for Botafogo. Wow. He also holds a doctorate degree in philosophy. Mm-hmm. His final football club was? Uh, Garth of Town. Garth of Town in the Northern Counties League. Very good. And is currently a practitioner of sports medicine in his hometown. That is, that is uh, you know, knowledge is power, and uh, I have it, and so does Socrates. That is yeah. Hal's official, this feature will not last, cleverest footballer of all time at the half-hour point. Yeah, very well, very good. I, you see, I, I mocked you, didn't I? You did, you mocked a little. 
Um, I mocked you a little bit, and I, I just thought it was a clever pun on his name. Um, but it wasn't, wasn't really a mock, it was more a kind of misunderstanding yes. of what the actual... Well, initially I thought, oh yeah, I'll put Socrates in there, but then I actually did some research. I mean, while we're talking Brazil, you might not have heard, you know Neymar, the up-and-coming, everyone's talking about him, striker yeah, in Brazil. Yeah, he was going to join Chelsea. Yes, well, a seven-minute hat-trick from Neymar and a 4-1 win away to Goers made in the second-highest Santos goal scorer in one season. This, of course, in the post-Pelé era. Yes. He's only 18... His treble, get this, took his season's tally to 43 goals. Wow. And passed the uh, 41 scored by Kleber Pereira in 2008. And the following week as well, he scored again to reach 44 for the season. Absolutely incredible. That's fantastic. I mean, he is one to watch, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I was particularly impressed when he uh, didn't join Chelsea and he said, you know, there's more to life than money. I want to develop my game. And obviously that is... um something that must have been paying off for him if he's, if he's now knocking 44 in a season. Refreshing. If you ask Adrian Muta that question, though, I don't know if he would uh, a- a- agree particularly. I'm not, sure. I'm not entirely sure that he would, no. Are you a fan of the Golden Goal? No. Have you heard that FIFA may bring back the Golden Goal for the uh, 2014 World Cup? Yeah, I mean, I, it sort of seems like a FIFA thing to do, really. And well, We haven't talked about the World Cup, but I think probably everybody, everything's been said about that. that yeah. Be said, but... Yeah, FIFA are not on everybody's most popular list. But the, the problem with the golden goal was I, I did like the idea behind it because it was supposed to encourage attacking. But the problem was, of course, that all it encouraged teams to do was defend the hell out of the rest of the game. And the, I think, you know, although the first one was uh, Laurent Blanc, wasn't he, in, uh, against Paraguay in well, 1998. It's interesting you say that, Mr. Sadie, because the first recorded use of the golden goal rule was actually during the final of the Cromwell Cup, oh. uh, the world's second ever football competition held at Bramall Lane. In uh, 1868, although the term golden goal wasn't used, the deciding goal was scored by the then newly formed team called the Wednesday, now known, of course, as the Pigs. Yeah. Uh, But was that more a case of next goal wins? It was a bit like, yeah, jumpers for goalposts. But the World Cup, the first golden goal, as you correctly say, in the World Cup, that was in 1998. Laurent Blanc enabling France to beat Paraguay in uh, round of 16. So, yeah, Yeah. absolutely right. Do you know the first Euro Championships golden goal? The first European Championship golden goal, um, and it wasn't Trezeguet in the final, was it? It was Oliver Bierhoff scored the first golden goal in an international oh, tournament, course, yeah. and that was of course before the World Euro Cup. 92. Yeah, so it was uh, two years previous to that. Yeah, in a final that uh, should have been should have been England, as we all know. Yeah, well, I think we would have won that one as well. I don't think that's ever been mentioned. No, I don't think it has been <laughs> mentioned. So in a, in a way, you can almost say that we did win it. Really, I mean, that's, let's let's say that. I think that's what England fans would probably uh, would probably want to say uh, about that. Yeah, no, the the golden goal. What? The thing is that, obviously, extra time, you, do, you are going to get teams who go out and play for penalties. And, and, I, and I quite like a penalty shootout for, for all England's failings at them over the years. Um, the, you know, I particularly like them when I'm neutral, the, the, the tension and all the rest. But I don't like the idea that the golden goal causes everybody to be so afraid of losing. Yeah. That, um, I mean, I, I've, I've always touted the suggestion that you, either, you should say, right, you've got to play till... Uh, first, I, I say we should have um, first team to five goals win from the start. And then you've got to go out, you've got to attack, and you're going to get some five nils. You're going to get some, you know, four, five fours. But I would, you know, you're not going to get a f- only last half an hour. But it'd be better to watch half an hour of attacking football. Don't than you watch think ninety minutes of, you know, these the all like Man United, Liverpool last week, two of the biggest teams in the country, and all this stuff that people that was awful. Up, Man City, Arsenal as well. I mean, Man City's performances yeah. this season have got a lot of people very angry. Mm. Um, and yeah, you know, first to five goals wins. I'd but say, the fact you say that. A game that had already had to go to the golden goal would finish to one side 5-0, I doubt. But, you know, it's possible, I suppose. I mean, when we talk about these weird decisions that FIFA are considering making, I mean, the bringing back of the golden goal, for me, I think it's a no. For you, is it a...? 
Yes, yeah, good. Uh, but the FIFA president Sepp Blatter believes the uh, 2022, that's not going to be easy to say, uh, World Cup in Qatar, or Qatar, I, I'm never really sure how people particularly pronounce that, uh, yes. it will apparently be held in January. Yes. What a bizarre, I mean, that's going to be, for a whole generation growing up, they won't know any different. That's going to be very, very uh, difficult, I think, to get for us, old fogies by then, of course, to yeah. get used to. The tournament traditionally held in uh, June, July, but temperatures in uh, Qatar at that time of year are going to top 40 degrees Celsius, despite the uh, Qatar officials assuring us that they will have air-conditioned stadia. I'm not really sure how that would work. but no, um, And also, I mean, the 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 fact that you know, the air-conditioned stadia is all very well, even if that works, but um, you you know, most of the time these people spend out there is not going to be in the stadiums. If you imagine going out for two weeks to watch the to watch the games, I don't know that that doesn't hold enough water because people go there on holiday all the time and you don't see them sort of coming back saying, "Oh, oh gosh, I tell you, they should move June, July to January." Well, the other thing that you don't get is um, you, if if only they'd had a choice of what country to give it to, um, <laughs> and and decided that because it's forty degrees tops in in summer and that's probably you know not the best conducive atmosphere to great football, they could have given it to somebody else. I mean, you know, the World Cup thing was a. Bit of a body blow, not particular. I mean, you know, not particularly because it came, went to Russia and not England. I'm not overly. I wasn't surprised by that at all. Um, but the Qatar thing. I mean, you know, we'll believe it or not, we'll be 40 uh, in the year of that World Cup, and, and it's going to be interesting to see um, how things have changed by then. I mean, imagine how much the game's changed even since uh, in the first 20 years of our life. Yeah. Um, the first 30 years of our life, I suppose. Imagine what it's going to be like, you know, in the next 10 years. I'm trying to picture you as a 40-year-old in Qatar at 40, <laughs> in 40 degrees Celsius, just trying to walk up the stairs. That's well, what I... Maybe it'll be, uh, maybe I'll finally get around to, you know, losing, uh, losing that weight that I've been trying to I think the, the only way you would make it up the stairs to the game in that sort of heat when you're 40 is if there's a salt and pepper at the top. Oh, well, I mean, I tell you what, I'd be up there, I would be up there extraordinarily fast. Like a rat into a salt and pepper where I'm sure they do of course live uh, because no, I had a good one of them for ages no, no, and for one, uh, for ages. don't do don't that. do it again uh, we've we got ask them for sponsorship I think we got no let's stay away from that uh, we, we've been through sponsorship before and I remember you were vehemently against it and now you're the one yelling for uh, sponsorship only because you get free pizza only if we got free pizza yeah, yeah. I, I, I would haul myself out for pizza you know that for sure <laughs> in fact I have done uh, you, before, before you know finally uh, choosing a, a career in teaching you know, yeah basically how I made my money. It's usually the other way around, though, isn't it? You know, people start in teaching and then say, you know what, there's got to be something more to life than this. I'm going to whore myself out for pizza. Yeah. Um, but, Mr. Stavely, I mean, genuinely, I, I can't wait until you and your wife um, decide what you want to do for a living. That's going to be, when you leave school, finally, that's going to be uh, <laughs> yes. really exciting. Uh, now, your your season flops. I asked this on Facebook, and we had some interesting answers. Uh, what, what's been your particular, you know, your player who's really let your side down this season? Well, I mean, I can't look far beyond the player that you selected as, as Newcastle's, which was James Perch, of course. Setting a record for most number of uh, consecutive matches in which he was booked. Um, never getting sent off, though. Kind of have that Gary Neville feel about mm. it. Uh, but, yeah, he's, but, um, he's, he's done better um, since then, but he's, he's been a very sort of hit-and-miss season. What about Alan Smith? Yeah, I mean, the problem with Alan Smith just seems to be that he's, well, he's he's got no legs anymore. I mean, obviously, I know that's not a literal uh, thing because he does actually have legs. Mm, thanks um, for clearing that up. But he's he's very very off the pace. He can't he can't put in the kind of shift he used to. And um, he was always so effective as a striker at Leeds. Apparently, Alan Pardew was thinking about putting him back in that role. But I think he's been out of that position for so long, and he's never really 
properly um, converted into a defensive midfielder, although he did all right for us in the Championship last season. Um, it is worth remembering that he, he did put a decent shift in for us there, so it'd be, it'd be wrong of me to ignore that. But making the shift back up to the Premiership, he's looked like he did the season before, which is a, a player who's past his best and can't really offer us what we need, I think. Mm. I think for the Blades, it would probably be Steve Simonson who made the incredible save, one of the best saves I've seen since David Seaman against Paul Pesky Slido in the FA Cup semi-final in 2003. One of the best saves I've ever seen against Newcastle at St James's uh, last season. Wonderful save. Uh, if you yeah. get a chance to see it again, incredible. And we all thought when he was on loan then, which we now know he was on loan and playing very well to get the full deal, that he would be absolutely incredible. He has caused us nothing but heartache, nothing but headache, and has been dropped several times, only to then have former uh, England goalkeeper Richard Wright replace him and get injured every time. Literally every time Richard Wright, has, he's not made it to half-time. So it's been a very, very disappointing, Steve Simonson, and we now realise how good Paddy Kenny was. Yeah. Matt Hardy uh, offered Nyron Nosworthy as the flop of the season. Did you have any thoughts on that? I never expected Nyron Nosworthy to be any good, and the thought of uh, Titus Bramble and Nyron Nosworthy technically contracted to the same club playing together at the back is a frightening proposition. A yeah. genuinely frightening proposition that should keep children awake at night and may well replace a lot of boogeyman stories. Well, maybe. Now, Adam Wilson had a slightly more broad spectrum of, uh, of choices for flop of the season when he suggested Simmonson, Nosworthy, Quinn, Ward, Taylor, Cresswell. In fact, everyone at Bramall Lane except <laughs> Evans and maybe Reed. Yeah, Evans has been good, actually. That's been a real sh- a shock. And Andy Reid no longer with us, gone back to Sunderland. But he was, uh, he was exceptional and uh, playing in the central midfield, though I remember him as a winger, with uh, defence-splitting passes. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have beaten the Giants of Millwall. So, yeah. uh, thankfully... Always, I mean, he's always been an extremely talented... Um, little tank, yeah. His vision, his, his passing has always been you know, a major part of his game, hasn't it? Yeah, his vision's never, never been in question, I don't think. But uh, I've got to say, shout-outs to Johnny Moustache as well at this at this juncture. I think we should do a shout-out to Johnny Moustache at the uh, quarter two point and every yeah, opportunity hi, that we get. Uh, let's talk about Royston Drenthe. OK. He says that he's uh, he's lost confidence in mid-table Hercules' management. Rather than yeah. uh, protest over unpaid wages, uh, yeah, he's decided... Two, three months, is it now? Yeah, he decided not to return to the Spanish club after the winter break. Yeah, and, and he's uh, been labelled a mercenary or a, um, a Judas by, by the fans. That's right. The problem with being labelled a mercenary is, of course, you've got to be being paid mm. <laughs> um, if you're going to do that, and uh, he's not. No. He says, that he, he says, I understand people think it's about money, um, but it was more about a loss of confidence. If someone says they're going to do something and later they don't do it, it affects me a lot, and I lose confidence in them. As you say, Drenthe has received a hostile reception uh, when he got back to Alicante Airport. Lovely airport. They do a fantastic sub. Uh, in no, there, if you're, if you're ever there for he any needed, He needed um, police protection, didn't he? Yes, but don't we all? I mean, well, you know. don't we all? I mean, Sid Lowe was saying it's it's a shame because he was um, he was becoming a bit of a fan favourite there. But I mean, the thing is, if, you know, I know people say, "Oh, well, footballers earn so much money, it doesn't matter." But the fact is, still, you know, whatever you whatever walk of life you're in, if you're doing a job and you've signed a contract, then you should be paid for you for the services you render. You know, whether that's a hundred thousand pounds a week or ten grand a year in a call centre, you you sign a contract and you expect to be paid. So, I, you know, if you've not been paid for two months, I can't really blame him for losing confidence in uh, in the management, really, can you? No, it's still not right there not to turn up when they're expecting you. That's just rude. You know, if your grandma says come around for tea tomorrow and she's not paying you so you don't turn up, <laughs> it's still rude. I wouldn't turn up for tea with my grandma if she wasn't paying me. I wouldn't turn up for tea with your grandma either. Uh, <laughs> now, we move swiftly on. We're sticking with foreign football. Have you heard the, the latest destination for, as he's called in Turkey, Kazim Kazim? 
Uh, no, I haven't. Well, we haven't, we haven't done a bit of. Colin Chasm Richards. Yeah, I bet he had the same problem. The uh, big news, of course, is he has left Fenerbahce to go to arch-rivals Galatasaray. Ooh, oh, that's going to go down well. Because they're quite they're quite uh, subdued, aren't they, as a crowd in Turkey? They don't really mind that sort of thing. Yeah, they, they tend not to sort of get into the spirit of it too much, which is a shame, really, because I think they could rustle up some real passion if they ever wanted to. They remind me of American fans, don't they, you? Very subdued. Yeah, yeah. They don't really care, do they? No, so that's what, what reminded me when you said police protection. I thought, yeah. Colin might well need some right now. Apparently he breeds Rottweilers, though, so he could be all right. We'll wait and why, see. I can't understand why police protection would have taken you to the idea of uh, somebody changing from Fenerbahce to Galatasaray. I actually had the pleasure of going to the Fenerbahce uh, region, as I think I mentioned to you on my honeymoon. Yes, you did. Uh, where else does someone go on their honeymoon? Well, of course. <laughs> uh, word of the day, Mr Stavely. I have a suggestion, but you're a bit of a wordsmith. Do you want to throw one at us? Oh, crikey, don't uh, put me on the spot or anything. I wouldn't like you to think that I'd needed any time to prepare a word of the day. That's why I say, though, you're a wordsmith. You, you teach words for a living. Yeah, well, my, my word of the day is temerity. Mmm, good word. Yeah. Do you want to give us the definition? Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to ask that. <laughs> um, yes, I will. Uh, if you have the temerity to do something, it means a sort, it's, it's a slightly worse version of having the cheek to do something. It usually is uh, used in sort of um, a, a more insulting or uh, arrogant manner. So, for example, somebody might have the temerity to suggest that this wasn't the best football podcast available on the internet, and I would say that that was un, uh, unpleasant indeed. And they you know what? Re- reassess the situation. If they gave me that, I would give them a sock de lager. <laughs> which is... You can't invent the word of the No, word. no, it's a real word. It's a decisive reply to an argument. It, really? Yeah, look it up. I will. I'm going to do it right this second. How S- do I S-O-C-K. Yeah. All one word. S-O-C-K-D-O-L. Yeah. A-G-E-R. That's inclusive blow or remark. There you are. My God. So, do you reckon that's where it comes from when you say you sock somebody? Yes, I do. Actually, that's what I was going to say next. Um, that is fantastic. It is It is interesting. Now, some of the things we didn't have time for is we have now run out of time. Uh, yeah. Hal's Odd Balls, a feature on... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a feature on Strange People. Um, hardest programme seller that you've ever met. Um, Gillingham's Best Yellow Card Bookings. Shinpad shenanigans. That was something I was hoping to get to that we didn't get round to. Uh, your it's highest. Devastating that we didn't have time for this. <laughs> it is uh, your highest toilet trips record in ninety minutes. The the toilet trips total. We'll probably get round to that next week. Uh, best goal you've ever missed doing one of those ninety minute trips. Mm. And of course, monkey tennis. Yes, of course. Which is what's next? I, <laughs> I think that's follow- following this program, monkey tennis. Yeah. Well, Mr. Staveley, as always, it's been a trial, uh, but we will hopefully. <laughs> be back again for you in the next three or four months we certainly hope so yeah and the, the, as always uh, mate the pleasure was all yours and i very <laughs> much look forward to the next time we can do one of these uh, these podcasts like i say if it, it should be i reckon we'll have one done by the end of the season at least yeah i i do as well can i stop you there 